This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. If you're a loser, tune in and you'll be a winner. It's the Moranalytics Podcast. Talking Buffalo sports, Yankees, WWE, 80s music, and pop culture. And now, here's your host, Patrick Moran. What up, podcast people? Welcome to the Moranalytics podcast, coming to you from Anchor Loop Studios, behind the pickleball courts in sunny Bradenton, Florida. Today is Monday, April 9th. This this is a milestone here, folks. This is our 10th episode, and the internet hasn't taken us down yet. So we got that going for us, which is nice. So I got that going for me, which is nice. To celebrate, on today's show, I am talking with writer and wrestling podcaster Rich Fan. Rich is the host of the Deep Dive with Rich Fan show, that airs on PW Torch Livecast every Saturday night at 6 p.m. Rich and I are recapping all of the action that went down WrestleMania Sunday, a show that went almost actually more than seven hours, very, very deep into late Sunday night. We also talk about all of the events that went on and what turned out to be a very, very, very long weekend of WWE programming. But then again, if you're a big enough fan, you can never get too much WWE and wrestling stuff. So having said that, I talked to Rich about everything that went on during an exciting wrestling weekend. Well, everything exciting except for that Hall of Fame ceremony on Friday night. That shit was boring. For that, I have our weekly Pat with Puck segment with my man Tone Pucks. Today, we're talking some Mason Rudolph and Lamar Jackson quarterbacking. We're talking a little bit about Richie Incognito and something that I personally think he did that was complete and utter bullshit. We then jump into a little LeBron James, James Harden NBA talk, who should win MVP, talking about the Cavs and the Philadelphia 76ers, a team I really like this on the rise. After that, we dive into a little baseball, talking about a couple front-running teams, teams that have gotten off to a strong start, one team that has struggled at Tone Pucks thinks is going to struggle for quite a while. He makes fun of the Yankees, which pisses me off. And we both agree that this Otani kid from the Los Angeles Angels is fucking ridiculous. I mean, holy shit, this kid is good. That boy is good. Mm-hmm. We end Pat with Pucks talking a little Buffalo Sabres hockey, which thank God the season mercifully ended this weekend. Seriously, thank you, hockey gods, for letting this disaster tire fire of a season for the Sabres finally come to its conclusion. I'm not going to waste any more time. There's lots of stuff to get to today. Here's Pat with pucks. And immediately after that, I got rich fan who was in new Orleans and was live at WrestleMania Sunday night. 
with us. To the victor belongs the spoils. Why don't you get the fuck out of here before I shove your quotations book up your fat fucking ass? The customer is usually a moron and an asshole. Okay, a simple wrong would have done just fine, but then... Is this still snowing in Buffalo? Off and on, but real quick. What do you have to do to get canceled by the internet? <laughs> Be really bad. If Andrew Peters had a show on the internet, it would get canceled. <laughs> he's getting better, actually. He He's getting better. You, you're, you're seeing the, uh, or listening to the evolution uh, a little bit. He's come along um, this year. But back to my, uh, back to my weather forecast. This is bullshit, man. All right. I mean, absolute ridiculousness going on with this weather. Last night, uh, got home with littlest pucks, like around like 1230, like after midnight. And it was gorgeous. It was this beautiful December-like snow uh, in (laughs) April. And it's just... It's uh, it's got to be coming to an end. The high school baseball season is starting next week. I got to earn, all right? I got to get out there, ump these games, get back to making a living here. So cut this shit out, Mother Nature. Dude, it's I'm telling you, it doesn't matter where you live. There's just a great time and a shit time. Now, conversely, in Florida, this is it's paradise season, man. Yesterday, we went out, went to some tiki bars, the beach, 80 degrees, perfect. And it's my time to feel good because I know really soon it's going to be balls hot, raining every day, and you guys are going to have all the glory in Buffalo. So I ain't feeling sorry for you at all. I kind of like it right now. I'm getting my licks in while I can. Yeah, I'd be doing the same. I'd be doing the same. Did you see Sergio go like full-blown tin cup and take the 13? I love it. I know. I I thought he was going to sink the last one and go make out with Rene Russo when he was done, man. That's all I could think of. Was, I mean, it was, it was straight out of 10 cup. It was beautiful. That's, I mean, come on though, man. You're the freaking defending chain. You can't take a 13. That's if you're going to implode, do it, do it spectacularly. I actually loved it. I thought it was awesome. I'm not a big Sergio fan. So I did get a real big kick out of that. I thought it was great. Defending champ, defending champs got to get to the weekend. If you're the defending champ, you got to get to the weekend. I love a good implosion myself. Um, you know, I've I've been uh, I've been a part of many. Pucker's bunker on 18, uh, and and at uh, oh god, it's been so long. What's the place we always played? The, the the real short, shitty one. Grover Cleveland. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> many an impl- implosion at Pucker's bunker on 18. I, I'll tell you that. Look, man, I don't know who we're fooling here. I wanted to try to switch it up a little bit and not talk about football right at the top, but you know, we're going to talk about football. Uh, we have to, we do it every week. Got we, to. Yeah, of course. Listen, man, the Patriots trade Brandon cooks to the Rams in a deal that there's other moving parts, but at the end of the day, what matters is new England now has the 23rd and the 31st pick. How are you feeling about that? Do, do you have this, you know, this sink and feel, and of course the bills currently, are slated to pick 22, one spot above them. If the Bills don't go and get a quarterback at 12, I don't think there's any more chance that they're sitting at 22 and getting Mason Rudolph or someone else that maybe they like at 22. New England has that ammunition now. They, they could easily skip the Bills, move up into the teens. And you got to think from New England's perspective that, you know what, man? Brady ain't going to be around much longer. They traded Garoppolo. They don't have really shit in that system. It's time that maybe... 
Bill Belichick says, you know what, let's package these picks, let's get up, and let's get our successor. And I'd be perfectly okay with that. I want them to do that. I, I prefer them to do that. Look, I'm not afraid of the successor, whoever that may be. Someone is going to come in and play quarterback for the New England Patriots after Tom Brady. And the only thing I'll be feeling at that time is, thank God it's not Tom Brady. People are are like, you know, Bill Spann's got uh, nervous about that, that Pats move. Like, oh man, now they're going to, you know, some even thought they could jump us, which just, you know, if you look at the picks and, and where they slot, that, that seems pretty improbable. And some worried that, you know, they're going to have this seamless transition from Brady to some new stud because they're sitting on two ones, you know, that they can use to, to package. I don't care. It doesn't matter to me. That's just, you know, that's two less potentially, if they did that, that's two less positional players that they can use to surround Brady with, all right, for the next couple of years to, you know, as he continues to, uh, uh, to do damage on us. So I don't give a shit what the Patriots do with that. It'll just, it'll just mean Brady's gone. And, and that, uh, in and of itself will be re- reason to breathe uh, a little bit easier. So I, I'm almost as intrigued by that move for the Rams part in it than I am the Patriots. Cause the Rams are out there building a freaking ro- uh, Holy shit. Roster. Holy shit. Are they, I mean, you know, the, the deep, the defensive tackles, the corners, uh, the weapons on off. I mean, it's nuts. It is, it is nuts. They are going balls to the wall on the golf rookie contract. And, you know, and it's, it's a pretty interesting precedent right now. One that I think, you know, a lot of teams are going to follow, uh, if it, if it works. And I, I don't know that it's gonna, I mean, obviously they're going to put out a, a, a stud team, but long-term, when some of these contracts start coming up and you don't have depth right now behind them to replace them, you've got this cap space, all right, to sign the ones that you really want to re-sign, but you're not developing anything, um, you know, in the cupboards. It's, it's you know, it'll be interesting to see what we're talking about in in a few years as it relates to this uh 2018 model for the Rams, but it's going to be, it's going to be something else for this year. I hope they're on a a shitload of primetime, man. I mean, they gotta be They're They're, you know, they're Los Angeles and they're making all these moves. They've got to be all over primetime when this schedule comes out. I'd be shocked if they're not. And, and I, I couldn't agree with you more on your point. You're right. It's win now. When you say win now, that comes with a price, and that price could be the future. And you're right. They don't have a pick the first two rounds this year. So they're going to be missing out on opportunities to get depth. So, well, But you know what? If you're a fan, you worry about that down the line. If you're a Rams fan right now, God damn, there's, their roster is stacked. Cooks replaces Sammy Watkins. So that offense is as good as it was, and, may, and maybe it's even a little bit better. Then the Eagles, the Vikings, the NFC is going to be lit. It's gonna. I, did I just use the word lit? What the fuck? You did. <laughs> I did. You did. That the, the top of that conference is going to be really good. It's going to be so much fun to watch. I can't wait for the for the season. I can't wait for the schedule to get announced, which is what? That's what? Late April, correct? That's when the schedule comes out every year? Yeah, it seems right. 
Yeah. I saw something. I think the preseason will be coming um, this week, uh, according to a tweet from Sal last week, I think. So we got about two and a half weeks left before the draft. Any change in how you're feeling about these quarterbacks? Any of them? Is anyone in terms of what the Buffalo Bills may want to do? So do you have any thoughts with these quarterbacks? Anything changed with you? I don't see the, uh, yes. So there has been some change near the back of it. Uh, one positive, one negative. I'll preface by saying this. I don't see much changing for me anyways, as it relates to those, uh, those big four at the front, Allen, Darnold, Rosen, Mayfield, uh, a lot have been tied to the bills. Uh, I mean, I think each one of them at some point has been tied to the bills. I don't, they're very, they're all very close. And I, I think that's, uh, you know, that's going to come down to, you know, systems and, and really just it's it's going to be last minute stuff with them. The back end piqued my interest this past um, this past week. Rudolph, I, I feel like, you know, had some really good things come out. I think there was a, a film session with Mariucci that uh, that I think went well. I, I think the Bills were said to be hosting him for his private workout this week. And, and I think I'm starting to get into a place where I would just love it if the Bills fell in love with with Mason Rudolph. Me too. I don't want the I don't want the Bills to settle for Mason Rudolph, but if they come if they get to a place where they just say, "You know what? This kid and a solid class behind him are capable of bringing this franchise, you know, to to its first ever championship that I'm down with that because deep down, man, I still want, you know, I still want to have a lot of fun. I, I keep referring to Friday night, but it, in rounds two and three, I mean, imagine if they find their quarterback at, at 12, because they're not going to play that game uh, where, where, you know, like even, even if a guy like Roquan Smith drops uh, as tasty as that might be, I don't see them playing that game where they get to 12 and hope that they can jump up, you know, from 22 with uh, with Rudolph. I think that'd be pr- pretty risky if he became their guy. But, man, I, I, I would love that because I would love the, you know, the other additions that it would make uh, that it would make for in rounds two and three. And um, on the opposite side of that spectrum, you know, uh, Lamar Jackson and the decision that he made not to go with an agent. I think is a thing, you know, sometimes you see the, uh, the votes on, uh, on Twitter put to, or maybe it's just me, uh, following Mike show too closely, but he did it with a, when O'Reilly and, uh, and Jack did in fist bump thing or not a thing for me, the, the Lamar Jackson, not choosing a, an agent and just what it speaks to as far as, you know, his understanding of this process uh, I, I, I think it's a thing. I think it's a negative thing. And quite frankly, I'd go as far as to say he should be getting hit for it a lot worse than he is. I understand people do not want to sound like the Bill Polians of the world. They do not want to, you know, be insensitive. All right. To the, you know, to the history of, you know, the, the quarterback position as it relates to, African-Americans, but this move by Lamar Jackson deserves to be crucified. It is, it is a move that shows a lack of understanding and 
it may very well project to, you know, to the field as far as I'm concerned. You know, everything that these kids do leading up to the draft is scrutinized because it may, you know, it may one day reflect um, negatively on the field. You know, it may be applicable on the field. And this decision by Jackson was a bad one. And I think it's going to matter. And uh, I'm, in a, I'm at a point now where um, I, I would not pick him if I were the Bills. I tend to agree with what you're saying. And, and I would add beyond that with Lamar Jackson anyway, I just not, I don't know that he's going to be a good NFL quarterback on the field. And when you combine that with some of the stuff you just said, I think you make a really strong point. Now, when it comes to Mason Rudolph, if the Bills really end up liking Mason Rudolph, I got no problem with them picking him at 12. I don't care if that feels high. And I know that there's going to be a case to be made that, yo, man, you got the 12th pick of the draft and you're picking potentially the fifth quarterback off the board. That's, that's, that's got to be unprecedented. The fifth quarterback off the board at 12, but I still have no problem with that with they, if they really like him. And by the way, if they did, that would be the, the highest the Bills have ever picked a quarterback. And that includes Jim Kelly. A lot of people think Jim Kelly was one of the first picks. No, he went in the mid-first round. I think he went 14, maybe, some, somewhere along that line. This team, the way it's built, if they can go get Mason Rudolph at 12, absolutely sit him for at least a full year behind A.J. McCarron, who I do like more than some others. I would love to have that 22nd pick and then 53, 56, and 65. You're talking four picks there. Minimum, you should find three more solid contributors or starters that are as rookies. And the Bills did really good last year with drafting so I would be, I have no problem if Mason Rudolph is a guy that they like taking him at 12. Or do you got anything to say to that too? I mean, you kind of said it all with what, uh, with your take on, on Lamar and Mason. So. No, I'm good with that. Just a, a quick trivia. If you want, man, do you remember who the bills actually drafted before Jim Kelly in that same, uh, first round? Fuck yeah. Because it was my school, Notre Dame, man. That's Tony Hunter. Tony Hunter, dude. It. As soon as I said it, I was like, wait a minute, he's got this because he was a he was a domer. Yeah. Hunter at Hunter at twelve, JK at fourteen. Yeah. One more NFL Bills thing, then let's move on. Richie Incognito this past week fired his agent. And he, which whatever, that happens all the time. But dude did it on Twitter. Come on, man. That's pretty fucking douchey. That's a douche move. You don't fire someone on Twitter like that. I I, I agree with it uh being pretty weak um very but my concern yeah yeah but my concern all right is that he may not have been as pleased as he let on which was really odd in the first place that he would be pleased at all with uh with the pay cut that he had to take to stay here and it's very possible that he found out that um you know, that he could have hit the market and done better. I mean, why do you take the pay cut? You take the pay cut because your agent has shopped you around and and you basically realize that you are not going to be able to make more than, you know, whatever the bills cut him down to. Well, you know, after a couple of weeks, people start to get in his ear or maybe he hears firsthand or who knows. You know, now I'm speculating here, obviously. It could have been a number of things, but my God. He takes a, like a $3 million pay cut, then fires his agent on Twitter 
a few weeks later, I, I sure shit, you know, don't think it's that big of a leap to think that the two things are um, are related. And if he found out that he could have done better had he just told the Bills, well, cut me. I'm not taking I'm not taking a pay cut. He finds out that his agent played it wrong and um, probably, you know, might might not have been too happy about it. But I don't give a shit about whether or not he's happy with his agent. I give a shit as to whether or not he's happy in that locker room. You know, that'll be worth watching in my book. What you're saying has merit, but I don't care. Don't fucking fire your agent on Twitter. Imagine if Sean McDermott created a Twitter account and started cutting guys on Twitter. Imagine if he cuts Lorenzo Alexander instead of bringing him into uh, to, to his office to do it. He, he does it on Twitter. That's not how you handle your business. I'm not, listen, I've made it no secret. I'm, I'm not a big Richie Incognito guy. I don't know. But not to mention, he blocked me on Twitter. So I kind of got a personal beef with him. Yeah, I didn't know that. You got blocked by Richie yeah, on Twitter? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've said a couple things to him. He, um, obviously, he didn't like any block. I mean, whatever. I get it. That's fine. But here's the thing. I think he took that pay cut because he was in the midst of the uh, alleged racial thing with the, with the guy from Jacksonville. I don't remember the guy's name anymore. Yeah, he figured yeah. maybe between that, with that ongoing, that if the bills were to cut him, if he didn't take a pay cut, he'd go to the open market and maybe nobody wanted him anymore. So he figured, you know what? I'm here. I'll take a pay cut. And maybe he got that advice from his agent and maybe it was really, as it turns out, shitty advice. And so fire him. That's fine. But do it, do it in a professional manner. Doing it publicly on Twitter. That's just some Bush League shit to me. I don't know why it aggravated me so much. I just think it was bullshit. Let's move on a little bit because we're uh, we spent time on football like we always do. Let's cover a couple other things quickly. That's Friday night. I watched the uh, Cleveland Cavaliers play the 76ers. Um, Philly ended up winning. They were up 30. Cleveland came all the way back. What a great game. I really, really want these teams to play each other in the playoffs this year. Philly's an up-and-coming team. They're a lot of fun to watch. And I'm, I'm just a LeBron guy. And speaking of, I think LeBron should win MVP. I think he deserves it. He's got some of the best stats of his career. I know he's not going to win. Harden's going to end up winning MVP. He's leading the league in scoring, and he's playing on the best team. So I guess two-part question. What do you think of Philly as a team right now? And do you think that Harden deserves to win MVP? Um, I'll start with the second question first. Yes, I, I do. I, I think James Harden uh, has been the you know, the most valuable player in basketball this year, quite frankly. I don't think the Rockets do what they're doing without without Harden. Now, it goes without saying that the Cavs don't do what they're doing without LeBron. But, um, you know, it hasn't been a great year for the Cavs. It just hasn't. You know, LeBron set a standard for himself, a ridiculous one that's very hard to measure up to year after year. When we reflect upon it, um, you know, my kid was just asking me the other day. He's been playing uh, 2K18. You guys are a video you know, game and household, aren't you? That's how we roll. That's how we roll, man. Yeah, but he was he was said is LeBron one of the best ever. He asked me, you know, my opinion of him and Mike and uh, you know MJ. And I, I think LeBron when when they talk about LeBron years from now, you know James Harden, the year James Harden won MVP or whatever won't even be uh, in the conversation. But my vote would go to Harden. He's just been filthy this year. And a little new flavor, uh, I think, would be good. As for, you know, the the Philadelphia team, man. Um, now, this is this is uh, shows some serious current day ignorance uh, on my part. But Embiid didn't play in that game. Is no, that correct? He's still out. He's still hurt. Yeah. So, you know, 
Man, that's big that they hung with them uh, without. I didn't watch the game. I just saw the score afterwards. Um, yeah, they they seem to have arrived. They seem to have arrived, and it sucks that Kyrie is not going to be in the playoffs because all of a sudden, with the arrival of the Sixers, obviously with LeBron, with a pretty damn good Raptors team this year that I think might be their their most poised to finally break through in the East. It would have been nice to have Boston in there as well. Uh, we could have been looking at, uh, you know, two terrific semis in the East. Uh, and even, you know, the Greek freak uh, in round one, it, it loses a little without Kyrie. And, and that's that's too bad. But if we get Sixers, Cavs, that'll be cool. And if we uh, if we get a Boston team to return Kyrie and Hayward, uh, you know, to health next year, then maybe we can we can start to uh, start to really enjoy Eastern Conference basketball. You know the way we have the West in in recent years. I'll tell you, man. I've I've only watched a handful of games in in its entirety this season. That Philly Cleveland game Friday w- w- was amazing. It was a great game. It was old school, high scoring, mad shit talking, going back and forth. Ben Simmons, that kid is is ridiculous. I really hope they play each other in the playoffs. I can't wait. I hope that happens. Real quick on baseball, this Otani kid from the Angels. Holy shit, man. I kept hearing that he wasn't ready. He wasn't going to be good this year. Fantasy baseball guys suggested that he was going to be a bust. (laughs) Maybe he will be, but he sure as shit wasn't this first week and a half. Only 18 at-bats. He's already got three home runs. He homered in three straight games. He's already got seven RBIs. He's hitting 389. And he pitched his ass off. He pitched really well in his debut. I don't know, man. Week and a half. It's it's a small sample. Right, exactly. It's a small sample size. But this kid fucking looks as good as advertised right now. I, I'll tell you, man. I mean, even through spring, which I think a, his spring was a big part of why. I mean, I thought the Angels had simply, you know, gotten themselves into a novelty. Like, uh, like I can't remember what the guy's name was, but like the pitcher who was able to throw left and right, you know, kind of thing. But. Right now, he does not look like a novelty. He, he actually he he looks like someone I'm trying to trade for. To tell you the truth, man, I mean <laughs> shit. You know, I could use him on the bump and in my lineup every day. Are you kidding me? This is the likes of which we've never seen. It's crazy and it's super cool for for the game of baseball. And it's why baseball rocks, baby. That's <laughs> why baseball rocks. So, <laughs> we're, we're like I said, we're just a week and a half in. And I know you're not a Yankees guy. I am. These injuries are really starting to hurt him early on. I think it was opening day. Aaron Hicks hurts his oblique. Of course he did. Again, to to kick back in that fantasy reference because I drafted him. He's on the DL already. Brandon Jury's got migraines, which he hit from the team, by the way. Six years. No one knew that he suffered from them. But anyway, he's got migraines. He's on the DL his CC Sabathia has already hurt his hip. He's, he's got a strain in his hip. He's on the DL. They bring up McKinney kid hurts himself first game. He's on the DL. I mean, they're five and four over the first nine. So record wise, they're fine, but all these injuries, that's not the way you want to start a campaign, especially with a rookie manager. That is the Yankee fanniest bullshit wine I've ever heard in my life. You got a fucking team with Giancarlo Stanton, Aaron Judge, Didi Gregorius hitting out of his ass. And and I'm hearing about injuries to, hold on, I wrote them down here because 
uh, who cares about any of these people, Hicks, Drury, CC, and like Billy McKinney. Dude, why what? are you hating? What? Why are you hating? Don't be yeah, hating. You're just not a Yankees guy. I'm a Yankees guy, and this is a podcast that is has a lot to do with Yankees talk. So you're gonna have to fucking deal with that shit. They're still five and four, by the way. I'm fine dealing with it, but uh, you know, complaining about injuries to these guys when you've got that lineup. Go out there and hit the ball. Don't strike out five times. How's that? How about that? <laughs> huh? <laughs> getting booed in your <laughs> getting booed. Yeah, that 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 that's rough, man. Opener. How are you gonna boo Stan in his own debut? I mean, he, he did go <laughs> zero for five, and he did strike out five times. By the way, he came back with a home run the next day too. He's he's. He's showing power early on, but he's not hitting well. He'll be fine, but whatever. I blame injuries as the reason why they're only five and four. Now, Boston and Houston, they started out on fire in the AL. That don't surprise me at all. They're two of the three best teams, so that doesn't surprise me. But, yo, man, dude. I hear you, man. No, man. Yo, the the Mets and the National League. If you want to hang around, you better get McKinney back and healthy as quickly as possible or Boston's going to run away with that division. The fuck off, Fucking man. McKinney. What is he? He's talking about Houston Texans linemen right now. <laughs> Yo, dude, you, you threw me off my game by interrupting me. I was trying to tell you Boston and Houston are starting out good in the AL. That doesn't surprise me, but you know, in the National League, dude, the Mets are 6-1. and one. They've won six of their first seven. And Pittsburgh, Oh, I thought we're going to be terrible this year. Six and two after their first date. Oh, again, very small sample size, but yo, those are a pair of teams that are really off to nice, surprising starts in the National League. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at the standings right now, trying to find that Cinderella story, and I don't know that the Mets would constitute as such, but nah. they they might. I mean, they nah. I, you know, I mean, there's nothing that great about them, and at least. If the let's put it this way, if the Mets were to steal the New York headlines from the Yankees, that would become, you know, not a Cinderella story per se, but it would certainly be a pretty big story with, uh, you know, with the way that the Yanks were set up this um, this year. But, uh, you know, you mentioned Pittsburgh in there. They'll they'll be back to sucking by the next time, you know, we do a do a podcast. Probably that's that's. I think that goes without saying. That team's just uh, had a lucky week, uh, and I think the competition had a little bit to do with that. So they're going to stink. Some of the interesting things are the, and I don't put the Yankees in this boat, you know, despite busting your balls about them a little bit. Teams that are supposed to be star-studded are not coming out of the gates well, and the Dodgers jumps out at me for that. They're in trouble. I I, I don't think that's a... uh, just a product of of some bad luck here in in, in the first week. I, I think this Dodger team's in a little bit of trouble. We'll revisit that again down the road, and I, and I think we'll be continuing to say that. You said back to suck in, and you said in trouble, which is a perfect segue to how I want to end this. Dude, the Buffalo Sabres season is over. Thank fucking God. Ended last night with a 4-2 loss at Florida. They finished the season with just 62 points. Down 16 from last year, down 19 from the year before that. They were only eight points better this year than that 2014-15 team. That flat out tanked, flat out tanked for Jack Eichel. This team is an absolute disgrace. Uh, uh, I don't, you know what, I could go on forever 
using adjectives. I'm not going to bother doing it. They fucking suck. I'm glad the season's over. Come on, man. Please tell me that something good is on the horizon with this team. I just, I just can't with them right now. I just can't. Did you bother watching more of Middlestat or Nylander when he came up? Anything like that? Come over the last um, couple of games? Hell no. <laughs> nope. No. And by the way, I got Mike Harrington coming on the show Thursday. He covers the Buffalo Sabres for the Buffalo News. So we're gonna I'm gonna talk ad nauseum about the Sabres and hold my breath and just hope that goes quick so I can talk to Mike about the things that I actually want to talk to him about. But dude, come on, man. How do you how do you get so much worse than you were? I thought Dan Bleisman was the problem. Maybe he was. I don't know. But how did this team get that much worse than they were these last two years? Well, I don't know how, but I think we'll start to get a little bit of an idea of how Jason Botterill thinks it happened by what he does this offseason, which I'm very intrigued by. I mean, the, the, the regular season. So it's like, you know, it's like how it used to be with the Bills. And some would argue, you know, we haven't entirely turned the corner yet, but, you know, where off seasons start to become more entertaining than the regular season. I think that'll be true uh, this coming off season for the Sabres, mostly for the parts that that he may do away with. I, I mean, was there something to, you know, the 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 younger leadership strife that some people wanted to uh, say existed uh, with Jack and, and Ryan O'Reilly at the center of, you know, who wins out in the uh, in the Rasmus Ristolainen argument, the analytics people who look at his numbers and think that he is really just a, a slightly above average uh, defenseman in this league or, you know, the uh, the hockey guys who look at the look at the minutes and and, you know, just look at, uh, you know, the physicality and, and maybe still some layers of potential and um, and think that he's worth every penny. You know, there are two really different sides of the uh, of the wrist lining argument that, uh, you know, that Botterill's going to have the, the trump card for. So, you know, I, I am looking forward to it. And it, it, to answer your your first question about him. There are some good things to look forward to, and I, I'm looking forward to to hearing what what Harrington has to say. Hopefully, you know we can incorporate some of that into into our next uh, into our next chat. Uh, probably won't be very flattering, but uh, it'll certainly be insightful. Let me be honest with you, man. So everyone who's out there listening knows, on my end, I'm in Florida. Tones in Buffalo, and you know we hook up through Skype and we record and do our thing. And we talk about a lot of topics. We try to spread it out. I mean, we could easily have every segment be about nothing except the Bills. But if you're not a Bills fan, you don't want to listen. So I try to spread things out, talk some golf, some some basketball, some baseball, you know, little pop culture stuff here and there. I swear to God, though, when you start talking about the Sabres or when I have to ask you a Sabres question and you start talking, I want to take my headphones off. I want to go to the bathroom. I want to do anything else except listen to it. I don't think I've ever in my life been so disconnected to a team that I spent so much emotion and energy on following before. I just, I don't want to hear it anymore. That's how disenchanted I am with this franchise. And I'm starting to wonder, and you know what? You just had a long 
winded rant about them. And don't get me wrong, they're points. There's very good points. If you're a Sabres guy out there and you're interested, I'm sure you had some very compelling statements there. But you, I don't believe, again, I was, I'm going to be honest with you, man. I was kind of zoning in and out there. I don't think you mentioned Phil Housley. And this is, let's end it here with Phil Housley. Here's my thing. They hired Bleisma after they tanked for Eichel, okay? So two years ago, in his first year, they improved by 27 points when Jack was a rookie with that roster, which I don't think was good, by the way. Then last year, yeah, sure, they they imploded at the end of the year. But you know what? At the end of February, when they had that bye, they had like a five or six day bye. I don't remember exactly when, but I know at the end of February, they were just two points out of a wild card spot before imploding. And that ultimately probably was the finals the final nail that led to Dan Blaisma and Tim Murray getting fired. So, you know, they were in the playoff mix last year in February, the end of February. This year, bam, they go back 16 points. Now, I don't know how you divvy up the percentage of accountability on this team. You know, Jason Botterill deserves uh, definitely some of the blame for going out and getting guys like Pullier and I'm fucking some other bums this year that didn't do shit. <laughs> Nolan, who, by the way, half these guys play on the fucking first line, don't they? Scott Wilson, whoever else. So I know Botterill definitely deserves some accountability for that. I don't know how much you put on the on the players themselves who are just a collective bunch of underachievers. But man, you know what? Doesn't Phil Housley deserve some blame here? I mean, to me, rookie head coach or not, it's just fucking inexcusable to be as bad as they were this year. Why is Phil Housley not getting more blame and being held more accountable. And I'm not just with you. Like I got Saber guys on Twitter that every time I bring up something about Phil Housley, they got a counter for me. At some point, doesn't this guy deserve some accountability for this team being a train wreck? God, I'm fired up. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think he's getting some, man. I, I mean, you know, I think some of the guys that you follow, Harrington in particular, defend Housley in the in the light of they just don't want to take it off the players because you know it, it happened under Bilesma and now it's happening under Housley and they just don't want to give the players an out and that tends to be their their motivation for you know for the support of Housley but there are some people out there I think it might be a little more radio than print but Housley's taking his hits. He he really is. He's he's taking his hits. Heck, man, we we have a good buddy uh, who is fairly confident that the next time the Sabres see the playoffs, it will be under current Amherst head coach Chris Taylor. Joe P. Joe P's like, look, man, you know, Bottero's going to do Housley the same way he did in Pittsburgh. He's going to bring up his uh, his minor league uh, uh, coach, and, and boy, it made some sense when he laid it out there. So. Yes, Housley deserves some blame, and yes, he's getting it, and I think he'll start to get it uh, um, worse come come next year. I, I do. You don't fire someone after one year when you have this kind of roster, but at a minimum, dude needs to be on the hot seat. Tone, thanks for your time. I'll tell you what, we'll talk next week. Again, we'll have uh, plenty more Sabres talk because I'll have Mike on on Thursday, and he's going to lay a bunch of shit out, I'm sure. We'll only be a week and a half away from the draft. The NHL and NBA playoffs will be in action. So we'll have plenty to talk about next week. Any parting words before I move on? 
No, nah, man. Just how's your uh, how's your fantasy season going so far? I knew you were going to say that, and I know you know that it's not going good. I got my ass whooped this week, ten nothing. <laughs> which, by the way, Didi, who I said the guy drafted him in the fourth fucking round of our draft. I said, "Are you crazy? What a homer! He's killing me, dude. He's got ten fucking RBIs this week. He had an eight in one game. Holy shit! It's, it's going to take yes, me sir. a month just to make up for this past week. I knew you were going to say that shit to end this." <laughs> You just made the list. Brock Lesnar. Michael Cole. Shut up. The house that AJ Styles built. Who wants to walk with the lion? This is my yard now. All right, guys, this is something that's unprecedented in the short history of the Analytics podcast. It's about 2.30 in the morning, and we're taping now because I am on the phone finally with Rich Fan. Rich was in New Orleans. I've mentioned him a couple times earlier on the show. Rich was actually in New Orleans at the Superdome for the show. I can't imagine how exciting it must have been to be there in person because I'm watching it on TV and this is something we could have a whole topic about another time, but this has to rank among the best WrestleManias that I've ever seen. What was that vibe like in the building? Rich, I can't even imagine how must how good it must have been tonight. Oh, it was it was a really good vibe. And for your listeners, I apologize. My voice is a little less scratchy normally, but this weekend is kind of taking its toll on me. Um I thought the energy was really good and I think uh, hopefully, um, in time you get to do it. Like when they come to New York. Yeah. I mean, Jesus, I, I've been to a couple of WrestleManias, but it's been a very long time. I think I went to seven or 18, 19 and 20 back then they had access, which I didn't go to, but it was either that or the show though. I mean, not NXT, not the hall of fame and all this other stuff and all these other indie cards that are in town, which I know you checked out some other stuff too. Just what an action packed weekend. If you're a wrestling fan, I mean, God, it doesn't get any better than this. Yeah, it's like a convention now. So you go, and there's going to be the group of people who want to see the indie guys. There's the people who want to see the main label guys. And then there's the people who want to kind of mix and match. For for the purpose of this interview now, I'm pretty much, I'm going to run down the card from tonight. Again, there's just so much that happened tonight. There's so many subplots and, and things that, you know, branched off from tonight that you literally could have an entire podcast just like your show, like the deep dive. I could have a deep dive on about eight different things that happened tonight. So here's what we'll do. I'm going to run down the card and get your thoughts on each thing that happened. And again, some will just fly through because they really weren't that important. And other things, I want to hear more perspective from you. And we'll start with the pre-show. Let me ask you this. Did you make it in time for the pre-show? I did not. By the time we got in, it was right before the actual card started. But People, um, one of my good buddy actually was actually good, able to update me as to what was going on throughout, but I did not see the three matches. Well, I'll tell you what, for the most part, you probably did yourself a favor. If I'm being honest with oh, you. Geez. I don't know. Maybe you heard differently. It started with the men's battle Royal and I don't know, man, I, I just, it didn't do nothing for me. I thought it was terrible. 
Matt Hardy wins. Bray Wyatt comes out in the end and ends up helping him. So I guess they're joining forces. That part was pretty cool, but there were no surprise entrants at all. And just, it seems like guys who I liked at one time just get buried. In this case, it was Ty Dillinger. He squares off with Matt Hardy at one point. It was a pretty cool part with the crowd. Matt Hardy's doing his delete chant and Ty's, you know, sticking his hands out and the fans are chanting 10. So it's delete first 10 chant. And then five seconds later, Hardy throws his ass out. So wasn't much of that match. Trust me, you didn't miss much. And then the cruiserweight match, that was a, that was a good match. Cedric Alexander wins. He beats Mustafa Ali with his lumber check. Not much more to add to that, except for, like I said, a solid match. And then, uh, to me, the women's battle world, one of the worst matches, and one of the worst announced matches I've ever seen. Naomi wins. I got no problem with that. Bailey throws Sasha over the top rope. She thought she won by Naomi. She was never eliminated. She was hurt, but magically she's in the ring, and she's 100% again, and, you know, not selling anything that had happened to her earlier in the match, and she won. Dude, I mean... For me, it was like worse than Goldberg versus Brock back at WrestleMania 20. Just not oh, good. It, it just, it wasn't good. And the announcing was terrible. It really was. Paige was out there, Beth Phoenix, and I love them both, but the announcing just wasn't good. Not at all. For the announcing, so the, was it just those two ladies and everyone else left, or how did that go? It was Paige and, and, and Beth Phoenix, and I'm trying to think from memory, I, I think it was Cole. I think Michael Cole did it too. I don't quote me on that. I, I can't remember, but in my notes, I just wrote worst announcing ever. I, I, I don't want to oh, say geez. for sure who it was, but just take my word for it, buddy. It, it wasn't good, but it did get good when the actual bullet started flying for real. Right off the bat, Seth Rollins wins a triple threat, becomes a Grand Slam champion. I thought that was an opening, fantastic opening match. And I, w- I would have bet the house that Finn Balor was going to win. What were your thoughts on that? Oh, I was in the same boat, especially with Finn Balor spending the last week talking up the fact that he was selling his Balor, Club, uh, Balor Clubs for Everyone shirt, which benefited Glad. And then to have the LGBTQIA community like supporting him as he came down in his shirt. That was cool. I thought that was like, okay, this, this dude's going to be like the shoe in. But then... Funny thing happens on the way to him going for the victory. He gets a blackout and Seth Rollins, who the only thing I took away from it was he somehow became the night King is our intercontinental champion. Yeah, it was a great match. I thought it was great. What a great way to start the show. Then we, then we go to a match that, you know, at the time I'm like, when this match ended, I'm like, God damn, this has got to be the shocker of the night. If not the shocker of the year, Charlotte ends up beating Oscar. I mean, whoa, Charlotte gets the works for the entrance, which, you know, I thought that was going to be a prelude. I thought it was going to be a good match, but I didn't think there was any way that Asuka was losing. I was wrong. I mean, this was like Undertaker losing the Brock Lesnar moment for me anyway. Were you as surprised as I am at this result? I'm still, I refuse to accept it as reality. In my mind, I blacked out for like 20 minutes. And I'm wondering what what you're talking about, to be honest, Patrick. (laughs) I'm a little shocked that it didn't go longer. It didn't, it felt like the match could have went a little bit longer. I love the match. Don't get me wrong. But uh, again, I I think I don't want to jump in front of you to what we're going to talk about later, mm -hmm. but I think they could have taken like seven minutes off of the women's title match for raw and given it to them. Sure. 
Absolutely. And you know what? How did you feel about after the match? I liked it. Asuka, congratulate her. You know, she said Charlotte's ready for Asuka. And then they hugged. They hugged it out. What were your thoughts on that? Did you like the sportsmanship? Asuka says, you know what? I finally lose and I can take that. I, I, I do, but I really thought it was going to be the inverse of what we saw. I was hoping Asuka would do something diabolical and bring out the murderous woman that I saw when she wrestled in Japan that would dress up like a clown or a zombie and then have blood dripping from her mouth as she cut promos on her opponents pre-match. But I'm happy with it because, like you said, I'm interested to see where this is going. I'm intrigued as much as I am disappointed. After that, we have the U.S. title match. Jinder Mahal becomes champion after uh, winning a fatal four-way against Orton Root and Rusev Day to win the U.S. title. Uh, you were in the crowd. Were the fans pissed off? It felt to me like they really wanted Rusev to win. Yeah, this was a match where the fans kind of turned on the finish, especially because it went to Jinder. So it was like, not you again, because they had just gotten rid of him as champ with AJ's, you know, ascension again. So seeing Rusev get kicked to the side, it's kind of similar to Zack Ryder. There's a lot of situations in WWE where you get yourself over and they didn't do it. They didn't put the machine behind you and you suffer for it. And I feel like Rusev is now suffering for it. I feel like all three guys that did it win the belt. I mean, the, the roster shakeup's coming pretty soon. These guys, it just feels to me like they need a change. You know, Rusev, throw him on Raw. Maybe good things will happen for him. Rude, I don't like him as a face. I, I like him better as a heel. So maybe it's time to turn him. And I don't know what's up with Randy Orton. Maybe it's just me. I could easily be wrong here, but I've said this last week when I kind of previewed the WrestleMania. It feels to me like he's at least semi-checked out. Do you feel that way or do you think I'm entirely wrong? Which is possible. No, no, no. I think he's been Randy Orton plays the hits for a couple of years now. Uh, actually, a year and a half. Ever since he caught that CTE explosion from Brock Lesnar, he's kind of been the guy that just goes through the motions because he knows, what are you going to do to me? Fire me? Kill me? You know, so I, I really feel like that hurts them. After that, we had the tag team match, which really blew me away and surprised me. Ronda Rousey and Kurt Angle against Triple H and Stephanie. First of all, if we're talking about that match, that's a pretty goddamn cool entrance with Triple H and Stephanie coming to the ring with the bikes. I, I personally, I thought that was awesome. What did you think of that? Yeah, seeing it live, I joked that uh, Stephanie and Triple H basically hired Sam Crow from Sons of Iron yeah. to come down and escort them. And yeah, I, to be honest, I don't want to ruin anything, but I think this was the best match of the night. I, you know what? I, I don't disagree. And it's crazy because uh, I would have bet that this was going to end up being the worst match of the night beforehand. If not, maybe the worst. I thought it would be one of the, a handful of the worst. Everything about this match, I really liked. First, I mean, let's start with the obvious here. Ronda Rousey, for me, she blew me away. I did not think that she was going to look good tonight. Her first match, her nerves, not the greatest, you know, most seasoned opponent with Stephanie McMahon as the woman that she'd be going against the majority of the time. I mean, because she had it out with Triple H as well, but I don't know. I thought she looked really good. 
And there were a lot of nice false finishes. And, you know, there were times, there were several times in that match where I thought Triple H and, uh, and Stephanie were going to end up winning. How about you? Yeah, I, I agree. Especially because it was put so early on the card. I was nervous that they're going to be like, eh, we can sneak this by them. They won't mind. And then on top of that, Rhonda, to your point, I had her at about the fourth biggest pop of the night, which doesn't seem like a high number. But when you consider the three ahead of them are Roman losing, The Undertaker coming back, and Daniel Bryan coming back, that's pretty great. Yeah, it it was. I mean, again, you know better than me. You were there. I can only watch it on TV. But the crowd did seem, they seemed hot for her. And I was a little worried about that too. You know, maybe she comes out smiling a little more because I don't like when she smiles when she comes in the ring. I hate it. I mean, she gets her game face on when it's time to, but I'm not a fan of that. And I've, I've been a little bit worried that maybe the fans would shit on her a little bit, especially if she didn't look good in the ring. But I don't know, man. I think she looked really good in the ring, especially for being her first match. Yeah. And then last night, I know we want to stick to Raw. You look at her buddy, Shayna Baszler, on NXT and how smooth she looks after years. And while Ronda doesn't look nearly, obviously, experience can only give you that. She was in the biggest stage of pro wrestling, and she was a star. And that's all you need. When you're a star, like, you know, other than Hulk Hogan's ill-fated sex tape and racist leanings being revealed to the world, before that, he was the dude who had five moves to do him, and no one cared for 15 years. So Ronda can only get better from here. What do you, and we'll move on after this. And, you know, going off topic a little bit from WrestleMania, what do you see, where do you see her going from here? Now that, you know, she, she beat Stephanie and whatever, but she's not going to challenge Charlotte for the title anytime soon. I'm sure that they're saving that for something much bigger. What do you see coming out of this with, uh, with Ronda in the, in the not so near future or not so distant future, I should say. I'm sorry. Oh, no, no problem. I think there's going to be a heel on Raw that steps up to be the intermediary before she gets a one-on-one with Stephanie. Because I figure over the next year, if you can get her to August, it'll probably be Stephanie. You get her to November, it'll probably be some other heel that she has to vanquish. January is going to be the Women's Royal Rumble, and by then, she could go for her ascension by next year. Now, if they accelerate it, I think out of the group, her best bet would be someone like a, uh, a, a I would say a, a Mickey James, someone who's a heel that is experienced and can make her look really good. What did you think of, of Stephanie's performance tonight? I mean, Stephanie's an amazing heel character. We never see her in the ring wrestling. What did you think? How, how did you think she performed tonight? As much as I, you know, kind of partially stuck my thumb and tongue at her when she, did those videos with Triple H about how hard they train. She is right. She grew up in the business. And so she has outstanding timing in her facials, her body language, running around the ring, putting herself in a position where she could be a little, she's that little girl in school spit and hit you in the back of the head with the spitball. And then when you go to try to return fire, she's telling the teacher. And so she plays it up. She's so good at getting people to get pissed off. Like the little thing where she would dare Kurt to hit her, and then she's like, oh, you wouldn't do it. <laughs> That's a good point. All right, so moving on. N- next, we had uh, the, the SmackDown Tag Team Championships. The Bludgeon Brothers go on. They win the tag team belts. 
I'm not shocked that they won. I'm a little bit surprised that the match wasn't longer and it didn't have more near falls. I mean, this was it was set up for the Bludger Brothers for the most part to dominate, and that's what they did. I think this match, you know, it helps establish their dominance. I don't know how the fans feel about that. How did you feel about that match? I felt, especially because of the very special place it had in the heart of the Usos, in their 10-plus year career, this is the first time they've been on the main card at WrestleMania. Right. And given, as my friend Gillen mentioned, the fact that them and the New Day have had magnificent matches in the last year, you put them both out there, both the New Day and the Usos, and they get squashed in like four minutes. So as much as I love Harper and Rowan, don't get me wrong, I felt like that was something that could have gone a little longer and been a lot more effective. So now the next segment, one of the biggest of the night, John Cena comes out. And again, if you're listening to this, you probably watch it. But in case you didn't, he's sitting at ringside early in the show. Ref comes out. He goes sprinting to the back. Presumably he hears the Undertaker's there. He was in street clothes at that time. Comes out to the ring in in his wrestling jorts and t-shirt and expecting the Undertaker to come out. Instead, it's Elias with his guitar. Strums a couple notes. Cena handles business with him in like, 10 seconds and no undertaker the lights go out or I'm sorry, I should, let me backtrack a little bit. The lights go out and they tease the undertaker, but it turns out to be Elias and he comes in a ring. Cena beats him up. His music plays and he's headed, you know, he's halfway out. And then the undertaker comes out for real after his gears in the ring, you know, these magic tricks with the lights undertaker ends (laughs) up coming out and he pretty much, he not pretty much. He squashes John Cena. First, first question is this, you were, you're there again in the crowd. What was the reaction like live in person when the undertaker actually appeared? It had to be crazy. Well, let me go back a step. When they heard John Cena's music, I was moving from my seat that I purchased with my friend to watch the show to my uh, media seat with the torch. And as I'm getting there, people are sprinting to get to their seats once they heard Cena's music because they figured, you know, it's, it's go time. And then they get in, they're disappointed by Elias. Lights go out, clothes go on the bed, clothes go on the ring, and then the lightning and all, like you said, the magic trick. As soon as that gong hit, it was like the place exploded. People were just overcome with glee that The Undertaker showed up. And then seeing him go through the hits in like two minutes, I, I think I retweeted like the whole segment took 23 minutes, but the match itself took like something under four. Were you a little surprised? I, I mean, everyone knew the undertaker was apparent, but I was starting to get the impression that he's going to appear and they're just going to fight. And, you know, maybe the undertaker beats him up and then that's the end of it. But to actually have a referee out there and have a match, were you surprised given that it wasn't promoted that they actually ended up having a match? A little bit, to be honest. I thought they might do something to set up for WrestleMania 35. Right. But I thought Cena getting destroyed by The Undertaker kind of closed the wound of several years ago in New Orleans where Brock ended the streak. Yeah, that's a very good point. Let me ask you one more thing about The Undertaker here because I was beefing with some people on Twitter. I was tweeting a lot during WrestleMania. (laughs) I was. I mean, how can I not? And my impression, my takeaway from it was 
you know, Cena does him the honors. He goes out there because Cena's not done, you know. So Cena takes an ass whooping and lets the Undertaker look as strong as he's ever looked. To me, it kind of felt like, and again, maybe I'm entirely wrong and pretty much everyone on Twitter agreed, but I feel like maybe that's it for the Undertaker. They keeps, I heard people saying he's got more matches left. Maybe he's going to wrestle again in WrestleMania. If there was ever a way to go out on top, wouldn't you think that coming out, having a match, squashing John Cena and leaving the place where you lost your first match at WrestleMania, isn't that the proper way maybe to end your career? I agree, especially when you consider everything that happened after where currently, if you look at how they treated Roman, there isn't a top guy anymore. They spent the last year kind of telling you that Cena is a part-time movie star that can't win matches. And now Roman can't win matches either. So the undertaker just destroyed the last vestige of like, this is our top guy. And that's not something you do to rematch at SummerSlam. That's something you do as like a going away retirement gift. One last thing about this match and we'll move on. If there's one thing I hated about this segment, the only thing I hated about this segment, I'm a big Elias guy. And the company has spent yeah. six months getting this guy really, really, really over with the crowd and wrestling and doing quite well when he wrestles. But he comes out on WrestleMania on the grandest stage and looked like a chump, man. He comes out. First of all, I didn't even get his walk with Elias. And I get why, because he really wanted the crowd to hate him. So that part I get. But man, he didn't get his big moment in the, in the sun. You know what I mean? He got his ass whooped by John Cena inside of two minutes. He aggravated Cena. Cena said, you know what? Enough with this guy. Get rid of him. It was almost like Heath Slater was out there. I didn't like the way yeah. I didn't like the way it felt like he took a major step backwards at WrestleMania. Especially when you consider like here in New Orleans, he made an impromptu concert, like stayed for a while and played actual songs on Bourbon Street before WrestleMania. Yeah, man, I thought, you and know, like, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there. I thought for sure there was going to be a point in the show where, you know, the lights are out and JoJo introduces him and he's in the ring and he does his thing like he always does. And maybe somebody like Stone Cold Steve Austin, I didn't think The Rock was coming back. In fact, he said he wasn't. But I thought maybe Stone Cold or someone, maybe a returning guy comes back, some kind of surprise. And they do, you know, they do what they do to him. But I just didn't like the way it was handled. I thought it made Elias look kind of weak. No, you're right. No, you're absolutely right, Patrick. I think the way he was portrayed was, this is a big deal in the week leading up to WrestleMania. Even at Access today, he did a fantastic interview with a Q&A in the ring with all the people in the attendance. And you take that, and then you put him out there and treat him like he's in the job squad, if I can go back in the day. Yeah. All right, so now we got the, the tag team match next. You mentioned the pops earlier. Holy shit. <laughs> you know, so it's Sammy, yeah. Sammy and Kevin Owens against Shane McMahon and Daniel Bryan. And wow, what a moment that's got to be. I, I I would imagine that Daniel Bryan just sat there for at least for a minute, had to soak in their reaction because his reaction was incredible. Yeah, he was just, as soon as that music hit and they didn't even need, I was sitting next to uh, Brian Alvarez in the media section of the Wrestling Observer. And he was like, they didn't need to do, uh, this is Daniel Bryan, let's make you want him more section with the video because you've lived that for almost three years. So 
I I was just, oh, that match was great. I really per- would have preferred, though, if they didn't stretch him out in the first five minutes. Right. Well, he ends up coming back. He taps Sammy out for the win. I, my question is, you know, to me, that felt like a, you know, here, welcome back, Daniel Bryan. You deserve this night booking. Here you go. Tap him out. I don't have no problem with them winning. I kind of expected them to, but you're a little surprised that he, that he taps Sammy Zayn out because there's a lot of people thought that this was a match that Kevin Owens and Sammy Zayn would find a way to win that might advance some kind of a rivalry angle between Shane and Daniel, you know, some bad uh, blood, blood brewing, but didn't work out that way. He taps him out. Uh, maybe I'm wrong. I've been saying that a lot already tonight, but are you a little surprised <laughs> at how that match ended? Or did you see that? I figured they would want to send them home happy with the return of Daniel Bryan. I didn't think they would get that messed up, but I figured if they were going to lose, it was because of the fact that Shane's diverticulitis coupled with his hernia would lead to him being the weak link. And he really held it on his own for the better part of like seven, 10 minutes. He did. He absolutely did. And it was kind of like, he was almost like an afterthought in this match. Shane's a big deal. It's usually a bigger deal. You know what I mean? But because he was with yeah. Daniel Bryan, it was all about Daniel Bryan. Shane was a little bit of an afterthought, but I thought he performed really well tonight. Yeah, and he even made the little move at the end. I don't know how much the cameras picked it up, but he let Daniel have the moment. Like, he didn't go in and celebrate with him. He just kind of left it to him to do it and soak it up, and I thought that was a really classy move by Shane. Yeah, that is cool. Moving on, we have a, a title change, which everyone knew was coming. Nia Jax beats Alexa Bliss. Not surprised at all. In fact, I would have been shocked if she didn't win the title. However, having said that, and I didn't think this match was going to be much, and it wasn't the greatest match ever, but that was some really nice storytelling. And it was a moment for Nia that I feel like she deserved. Like I said, the match itself was pretty good. A little bit meh for me, but it was never going to be more than that that particular match. What were your thoughts on that? Are you happy that she won? I mean, I think she deserves it. Yeah, I thought it was a good match. I thought it should have been a little shorter, but there was a big, not necessarily top five. I, I would probably say somewhere in the top 10 uh, reaction to her winning the title. And I think her super Samoan drop off the top was a heck of a finish. Yeah. Yeah. That was really good. And I agree with you. I thought it was going to be a squash match, to be honest with you. And when she took out Mickey Jane before the match even started, when she took Mickey out, I was like, yo, she's going to kill her in three minutes or less. <laughs> She didn't, though. I mean, they had to make Alexa look pretty strong. And I think for, you know, losing, I think that's about as strong as they realistically could have made her in that situation. So we move on to, to the match that I, I really was hoping that it was going to close the show. I mean, it never was. AJ Styles and Nakamura. First of all, what did you think of that entrance for Nakamura? I thought that was pretty cool. That was insane, man. It was like... I don't know how much you guys heard it, but as soon as the guitarist started the riffs, the rest of the audience sang along with it. And just him being so frenetic and a psychopath as he came down the ring, it was one of my favorite WrestleMania entrances in the last, I want to say five, six years. I I thought it was an amazing match. I, I knew it was, I mean, Everyone who watches wrestling knew this match was going to be good. I think it lived up for the most part to it. The only reason why it may not have lived up to it for some people is because the bar was just going to be set so high, you know, with the dream match talk. And it was a dream match 
especially if you're if you're only a WWE fan and you've never seen these guys wrestle before in Japan or follow them around the world before they got to WWE, it was a dream match. Again, the only thing is, man, when you set the bar so high, it's almost impossible to live up to. And here's my other thing, and this is the question I wanted to ask you before we talk about what happened after the match. Did you start to, and again, you missed the pre-show, but still, you've had a long day and a long weekend. By the time this match happened, were you starting to get a little bit tired out there? And was the crowd starting to get a little bit tired? Because that's the sense I got watching it on TV. It, it felt like the crowd wasn't quite as wild for this match that I thought they were going to be. The first 10 minutes, the crowd was, and it would be alternating, let's go AJ, let's go Shinsuke. And then similar to me, like the next seven minutes after that, everyone kind of had that. You had a really big lunch and realized, oh, crap, I'm still at work at three o'clock. And now you're like, oh, I'm tired. Oh, I need a corner to just lay down. And so, yeah, they died. And then toward the end, they picked back up. And then afterward, they picked up again. But, yeah, it they hit a wall hard. AJ wins. I was a little bit surprised about that. I, 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 can't, I pegged Nakamura for winning going in. So AJ wins, and it was quick. I liked the way it ended. Then afterwards, they're hugging it out. I'm like, what a great moment. Again, like Charlotte and Asuka, and then bam, Nakamura with the nut shot, complete heel turn. What did you think of that? I was amazed, but when he took the knee to give him the belt, I was disgusted because I'm like, Shinsuke, you don't need to like... First, I thought it was going to be a redux of their New Japan match where at the end, they both were on their knees and gave each other fist bumps and like people lost their minds because it was so awesome. I thought they were going to do that. But then, boom, like you said, nut shot. And I was like, yeah, you get what you get, AJ. This dude tried it. He couldn't do it. And then the Kinshasa on the outside. I'm intrigued. Yeah. I mean, this clearly isn't going to be a one-off match now. You know what I mean? This looks like a feud that's going to go on for a while. I think he might even win the strap at some point from this. I was shocked. I did not see that coming. I thought, if anything, AJ might be the guy who ends up turning heel in this uh, in this feud. Again, this is, and we still got more to go here on this card. This night has got to be one of the, if it's not the most, it's got to be one of the most shocking WrestleManias I could ever personally remember. You agree? Yeah, I think so. If anything, it's shocking because you had so many preconceived notions that got destroyed instantly. If this was a sport, and I know they do actually have betting, but if they had easily accessible betting where I could just make bets, I would have taken a bath tonight. I feel pretty confident when it comes to picking major wrestling pay-per-views that I'm going to hit on at least 70% of them. But I'm telling you the truth here. I think I might have called maybe two or three matches the whole night correctly. If I was putting money on it, I would have got my ass whooped, man. I had Finn Balor winning. I thought Rusev was going to win. Uh, I, I thought the Usos might retain. I thought Sammy and Kevin at least had a good chance, although, you know, I wouldn't feel confident about that. And and I like Nakamura tonight. And then, of course, I, <laughs> let me get me started on Roman Reigns. And before, before we get to Roman Reigns, what did you think? Braun Strowman goes out and he ends up getting a 10-year-old kid to be his partner, and they beat the bar. What did you think of that whole thing? I think... A lot of people were getting worked up because it's a kid. And while I don't think kids should be in wrestling like that, there, there is an element of 
I can see, oh, wow, maybe Braun just gets a random partner to be his tag champ for like the rest of his reign. Kind of like when, um, if you remember when Steve Austin, was it Steve Austin? I think it was. Shawn Michaels? Are you talking about them too? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then he would take both belts and leave. (laughs) I do remember that. It's like, yeah, come on, man. I I get it. It I guess you have to have a point in the show that's pure comedy. And this was obviously that point. I mean, by the way, this kid's 10 years old and he has more championships now than Hillbilly Jim, who just went in the Hall of Fame on Friday. Yeah. A buddy of mine, because he wanted to be a jerk, sent me a tweet that he also has more title reigns than the Rockers and Power and Glory, who were two of my favorite teams in the 80s. And I was just like, you, why do you, why do you hate me so much? Let's get to the main event because that shit was crazy. Brock, Brock is still the champion. I mean, yeah. how, how does that happen? Wow. I, wow. Raw was right, man. There's not a person on earth who thought Roman Reigns, and I can tell you this much, the crowd shit all over a lot of that match. I've heard boring chants. I heard this was awful chants. And I'm pretty sure the main reason why was because there wasn't a person in that building, certainly not a person I know me watching, did not think for two seconds that Brock Lesnar was going to leave New Orleans with the championship. What do you say? Yeah, I think this was a situation where it was reminiscent of, like you mentioned earlier, Goldberg and Brock. And I felt like the crowd turned on both of them. I counted 15 uh, beach balls (laughs) and they did the wave and that was only by the third F5, and Brock hit five of them. Yeah. I'll tell you, man, I was getting ready to lose my goddamn mind. Sitting there, and by the way, this I, this is what, close to midnight now before this show's finally over? It's 11.30, yeah. 11.45, whatever time it is. And I'm sitting there, I'm watching, I'm watching it with my wife, and I'm watching Roman get f 5 to death. Dude, f 5 on, on the table outside. Five F5s, he kicks out. I was like, you got to be freaking kidding me. This guy's Superman. They're doing the Superman thing where Brock can't put him away. And somehow Roman's going to come back, hit a couple spares and win. I was going to lose my mind. I was like, please don't do that. And I'm pretty sure the crowd did too. The crowd sounded very shocked at the end that Brock did win. Yeah. They, they were super happy. And mainly it was because like, it was one of those uh, psychological experiments. You'd seen four F5s and Roman kept kicking out. So with the fifth one, you're just like, okay, screw this guy. He's going to kick out. Oh wait, he didn't kick out. Yay. And so it was just like this surprise joy. Last question here. Then we'll wrap this up again. It's very late, especially for you. I mean, goddamn, I just sat at home, watch it on TV. You've been flying around New Orleans all weekend. So I know you're tired and you're losing your voice here. What do you think happens tomorrow night on raw and going forward in the short term? Now that Roman reigns, didn't win the belt and Brock's still the champ. What do you, I mean, every report or rumor in the world had Brock's uh, Brock leaving after tonight. So I don't think he's going to take the belt with him or maybe he is. What do you see happening with that universal title right now? And Brock, Brock Lesnar in the short term. I think in the short term, this is a good time to kind of experiment with the television because remember they still have their TV deal to negotiate. So 
if Brock is leaving, you if you set it up, and this sounds so counterintuitive and weird, I, I feel stupid even saying it. If you say forget WrestleMania, let that be what it is because we know the crowd's going to be uncontrollable. We wait till we're in a town where we can kind of predict what's going to happen and give it to Roman then. That's, and then say, oh, what? that's the best case scenario. I, I could agree with you more. And that was my thought exactly. I said, you know what? Maybe this crouch is too much. And if this is going to be the main event, they're just going to lose their mind and boo and chant awful things as the show goes off the air if Roman wins tonight. So maybe the play here is Roman fights like in, like crazy. He handles five at fives before the six one finally puts him down and they have a rematch. I don't think it'll be on Raw necessarily tomorrow. By the way, Roman Reigns looked like he got the shit kicked out of him for real as the show went off the air. I'm not talking about the blood. I'm talking like he has a nice lump at his, on his, uh, underneath his eye. Looks like he got in a fight for real. Yeah. And similar to the SummerSlam match a couple of years ago with Randy Orton, Brock just unloaded his elbows in the general direction of Roman's head and face. And Roman did not win that fight. And no. you forget, especially in the world of pro wrestling, as much as they protect each other, when a guy like Brock Lesnar starts swinging at you for real, it's going to hurt. Sure. And finishing my point there, I agree with you 100%. And I'm on that same line of thinking. I think that sometime, maybe a payback next month, Brock makes one more appearance somewhere, or maybe even a house show, something advertised. I don't know. I do think Roman Reigns is going to beat him. I just think that Vince decided, you know what? It's not going to be WrestleMania. The crowd, they're just not going to have it. And that would be the lasting memory of what otherwise was an incredible night. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. So, all right, we're going to wrap this up again. God, you know, I said this about 20 minutes ago. I still can't believe that Oscar lost. I just can't believe it. I can't yeah. believe it. I'm, I'm still in mourning. Uh, all right. Well, you're still in mourning and you also need some sleep. So I want to thank you for your time. Uh, you know, uh, I'd love to have you on again when we're both a little more rested and uh, maybe a couple of weeks of wrestling. Oh, I may have, maybe after the roster shakeup, we'll get back together and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about some, uh, angles inside the angles. I just wanted to run through this card for tonight. So thanks again, Rich. I really appreciate your time. Have fun. By the way, how much longer are you in New Orleans for? Well, I'll be here for raw and then I'll leave Tuesday morning. All right, buddy. Have fun. Thanks again. Have a good one. All right. That's the show for today. Big, huge thanks to rich fan, not just for being a guest on the show, but for going to WrestleMania in New Orleans, rushing back from the arena to his hotel room just so he could give me a call and we could recap the show together for this podcast. I truly appreciate that, Rich. Much love to you, dude. Big thanks as well to Tone Pucks for coming on and doing our weekly Pat with Pucks. Coming up on the show Thursday, I have 30-year Buffalo News veteran writer Mike Harrington. We're going to talk Sabres. We're going to talk baseball, blogging, journalism, social media, all kinds of stuff, so make sure you check in for that. Guys, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe to the show. Subscribe, rate us, leave us five stars, write a nice little review. That really helps me out. And of course, you can follow me on Twitter at Pat Moran Tweets. Again, thanks for tuning in, everyone. I'll talk to you guys Thursday. Peace out.